Turn to the book of James with me. The book of James. Every now and then the pastor asks me to fill in for the Sunday school. And I have to, uh, I guess you'd term it, come up with something to, to say. Lord willing, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, start going through this book as opportunity presents itself. Let's read verses 1 and 2 for this morning. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. This book, historically speaking, as the canon of scriptures were being formed over time, This letter of James caused a lot of controversy. Some others were in dispute along with James as to whether they should be included in the canon of the scriptures which we have in front of us in our Bibles. Uh, It was in dispute or in doubt as to whether this should be included and in fact if it was inspired. My history has been such that I have read some of the old reformers, Martin Luther, uh, Gill, all those guys, which has caused me some, some problems in understanding this book. I'll get more into that. But this letter of James and some others was in dispute and doubt But later on, the letter of James received universal acceptance. And after a careful examination, it was received by all the Christian people at the time as a part of the New Testament and a total of 66 books in this Bible. That was so until what we termed the Great Reformation. I don't think I'm alone when I say that the book of James has been a difficult book for me for for years. It was scary reading to me. I didn't understand it. And I must confess my thoughts of it was influenced by those Reformation authors who rejected it. And its place in the canon of Scriptures, in fact... I could name others, and you would know them, who still reject to this day and argue that its inclusion was a mistake. Over the past four months or more, I've had the pleasure pleasure of of reading Pastor Tim James' commentary on this. His thoughts and 
expositions of the, these chapters are precious, and I can't express how much it's meant to me personally to study the scriptures prompted by some of the comments that's been made in his expositions to study and have my understanding open to this book. It's been a great blessing to me. No doubt it is inspired by the Spirit of God. I have no qualms about that. And it is a great gift to our Lord's church, our Lord's people, us and the church universal. I heard Pastor Don Fortner say one time that pastors and teachers should study the scriptures and read respected commentators. And when they find something that blesses them, more than likely it'll bless others. Bless the hearts of their hearers. And I do hope that that's the case with what I'm going to try to do and the Lord would enable me to do to deliver the inspired sense of what James is saying in this little letter. Martin Luther, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I think the background's important to tweak your interest and to put me in my place. Martin Luther thought the book ought not be included in the Bible because he felt that James was saying the believer is justified by works. He called it a very strawy epistle. And what he meant by that, as I can interpret it, strawy means straw-like. Have you ever been, been a, seen a bale of straw? He described it as strawy. Straw runs every which direction in a bale. And if you kick it on the ground, it all tangles. In other words, he was saying, it just don't make any sense. He thought that it flatly contradicted the preaching of Paul in Romans on justification by faith, and Luther wouldn't accept anything or anybody that contradicted that saying. The trouble with Luther was that he misconceived these teachings. And while it's true that the letter of James was slow in coming to be included in the canon of scriptures, it gradually worked its way into general acceptance and there's absolutely no ground for questioning authenticity or its place in the scriptures. Because the thrust of the Reformation, the Great Reformation as they call it, was justification by faith and faith alone, that's what they stress, and I stress, and the source of several martyrs who died for that stance, salvation by grace and grace alone, salvation by faith and faith alone. And the church had several martyrs for that cause and for that, that belief. And any suggestion that a man was justified otherwise was treated as a curse. In fact, the conspiratorial actions of some of the reformers, I mean, I'm talking about the Catholic Church 
and the steps that they took in killing these men for believing what they believe, in return, the, ref, the, the great reformers of the time, including Martin Luther, conspired some of the most evil and bloody acts uh, as the Catholic Church did. I guess that you could say extreme situations often bring about extreme responses, retaliation. But James, here it is, James is not putting forth the doctrine of justification by works, period. I think the Lord has enabled me to see past that now. Luther fought to reform the Catholic Church of the practicing of selling indulgences for the purpose of justifying dead people. They're dearly departed and releasing them from purgatory. And Martin Luther posted his 95 theses to the Pope's front door and he was sought. They, they tried to kill him for years after that. They continued their selling of indulgences, pieces of the cross, uh, uh, spikes from our Lord's uh, cross. And, and they even sold what they claimed to be the foreskin of Simon Peter, who they claimed was the first pope. You find that offensive in your thoughts? These reformers fought against it fought against it. These indulgences were supposedly, according to Catholic doctrine, a means of justifying the living before they died and purchase one and you'll be sure for heaven. And if you, if you purchase a whole lot of them, that increased your chances. Salvation's not for chance. Knowing all this, I think it's easier to understand Luther's response to the book of James. This book, though, addresses one thing, one thing in a whole lot of different ways. I guess that's what caused Luther to think it was strawy. It just went ever which direction. The theme of the book, listen, the theme of the book, the best as I can express it, and in the use of other commentators' words, too, is this book's theme is the proper response of the believer to diverse trials, temptations, and tribulations that attend faith or believing Christ and his gospel. Who is he writing to? James is writing to men and women who are born of God to the people who are resting in Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the epistle is written to everyone who is washed in the blood of Christ, robed in his righteousness and who worship and trust the Lord Jesus. Who are they? They're the Israel of God. You see that? Verse 1, 12 tribes. 
they're the Israel of God. Both Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. The 12 tribes, the Israel of God. Now, for a fact, this was written to those Jews which had been dispersed through the wars and persecution that they'd had. But it, 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 it is its title here, if you have a King James Version, it's probably got at the top of the beginning of the book, the general epistle of James. That means it's, it's, it, it applies to everyone who has faith in Christ. If you nowhere, nowhere in the letter will you find that a hint that a man is justified before God by his works, given an understanding and and knowing what the theme of the book is will will, will help all of us to see that. The, the principle of faith is prominent throughout this book. And it and it's always to be viewed in light of our response to the truth and and our faith is a response to truth. I didn't mean to stutter. Faith is a response to truth. There's no place where justification or righteousness is set forth as a result of faith in this book. It addresses the faith that is given to every believer in the new birth. The fruit that produces works that have as their design the honor of God and His Son. James is not writing as a counselor. I think that's probably the way I've read the book before. He's not writing as a counselor. He's not writing to unbelievers, and more on that later. And he's not, and he's not pretending to be a life coach. That's what they call folks like that nowadays. You hire them. He speaks in imperatives. He speaks what is required. Okay? And we'll find that that is imperative and required in the sense that it is the reaction of faith. It is the works of faith. Born of God, every child of God has those works in some way and in some form. <clears throat> Excuse me. The works that James reveals come come in come in two basic categories. <clears throat> One is faith's response to the believer in need. You'll find that all those issues addressed concerns brothers and sisters in need. And secondly, uh, the other uh works that he discusses and and reveals is faith's response to the abuse of the world. Those two things are addressed. Our response to other believers, the trials of other believers, or to the believer in need. The other is faith and, and response to the abuse of the world. Although this letter is written exclusively to believers, we'll find that James sometimes confronts unbelievers and he even rails on them, especially the rich. 
Look at it. Let's look at that. James chapter 5. And this will hopefully will give you some direction if you want to read ahead and study or whatever. James 5 verse 1. He clearly addresses unbelievers here. Okay? But the letter is written to believers. He said, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they hence even come they come they not hence even of your lust, they war in your members. You lust and you have not. I'm sorry. I need to flip the page. Go to now. Chapter 5, verse 1. You rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You've heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the higher of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cryeth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just I said, and he didn't resist you. He didn't resist you. Okay, now that being said, we need to remember this epistle is written to the true church universal. It's written to every believer in this world. And it's very unlikely, it's very unlikely that rich unbelievers, which are spoken of there, Rich unbelievers don't read this book. And it's doubtful whether they would even know they're there or ever even see them. And the question in Tim's expositions, he asked this question. Why would James include that harsh, those harsh words to and about unbelievers if that's true? Uh, it's just, why would he put it there? And he sees two possible reasons, and I found this very interesting. One would be to make believers suspicious of the rich. Was that one of your reactions here? Yeah, it would be. If you read that, I don't want nothing to do with rich folks. But that notion doesn't set forth the teaching of loving one's neighbor, so that can't be right. As he admonishes in, in James 2 and verse 8, he said, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as you love yourself. And your neighbor might be a rich man. The second reason that he gives, gives at these, is that these words present the dangers of wealth and are designed to make the rich who are among the believers to guard themselves against the natural bent that they have 
in their natures to put and trust and confidence in that which will soon pass away and be left to your daughter. You know? Temporal things are always changing. If you don't believe me, check the value of the dollar lately. And because of that, trust and confidence in in those temporal things sometimes and may change to greed if you see it decline, if you see all your beans are eaten up, all your potatoes are gone. And it causes you to turn to covetousness, materialism, and just plain old meanness. And when that takes place, the one that trusts in those riches becomes exclusive. Not inclusive. And the progression of that will be to oppress the less fortunate, to ignore them by not caring for them. And the fact that this issue is addressed in chapter 2, and because this book is written to the brethren, verse 2, we can't look at these words and discount them as meant only for unbelievers. They're meant for us too. They're primarily for the believer and meant to give us pause to make sure that the faith that we have been given results in caring for the whole household of faith. Why so? Because we desire the glory of God if we've been given Christ in faith. And when we pick up our Bible, we should and must always remember to say to ourselves, this is written to me. This is God's letter to me. Front to back. All 66 books are written to me. And any... And they're for, for, for my learning, for my instruction, my help. This is not to somebody else. That don't pertain to me. That's to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. The thought's been there. It's not to them or about anybody else. For example, when James speaks about the tongue... I think most of you will be familiar enough. He talks about the tongue being a powerful instrument, like much small thing, but it steers big ships like a rudder on a ship, about that wide, and it'll steer a ship 300 foot long. He's not talking about the gospel in the church. when he speaks about the tongue. We hear that we hear that message and we say, Well, I sure wish my neighbor had been there. That would have put him in his place. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about us. He's addressing the reader and the hearer. This book talks about hearers and doers and doers and not hearers. More, more into that later too. But taking that approach, the book of James will 
prove a great blessing has been to me and to our hearts and inspire a greater dedication to the gospel that we love. And with all that in mind, let's look at James's salutation here in verse 1. The writer is James. And James is the Greek rendering of, I found this, I didn't know this. <laughs> a lot of things I don't know. The writer's James, and James is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Jacob. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. He is of the Israel of God. There are two there were two apostles that had this name, James. James the son of Zebedee and James the son of Alphaeus. The son of Zebedee, James the son of Zebedee, just for information's sake. James the son of Zebedee was the fisherman that was called in Matthew chapter 14 when he threw down his nets and followed Christ. But it can't be him who wrote this book because he was killed by Herod in in, uh, about 44 years after Christ died. James the son of Alphaeus Was um, was the one approximately uh, wrote this book in approximately the year of uh, sixty two years after the death of Christ, and the son of Zebedee, James the son of Zebedee, already being dead. That that's the only one that it leaves in, that, that possibly could have written it. Paul in Galatians one nineteen. And others in different other places called him the brother of our Lord. And he's the one who defended Simon Peter when the Jews were pressing Paul to circumcise Gentile believers. How's that sound for works? In Acts 15, some historical writers refer to him as James the Just. Back in verse 1, he describes himself as a servant a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His reference to both father and son is all inclusive and is said to assure believers that one can't be served without the other. God's not a father if he doesn't have a son. And one can't be served without serving the others. There can be no son without a father either. Notice that he describes himself as a servant. A servant. It's an indefinite article. He's just one above many. One among many. He puts himself on the same footing as every other servant of God. Including me. The word servant means from all of our studies in the Old Testament with with, with Pastor David, he's he said and told us many times that this bond slave or servant, word servant means bond slave or bond servant. And we've all learned that from him it, it is one who has willingly <clears throat> given himself to lifelong service to the master that he serves. The letters addressed to the 12 tribes 
I don't think there's any doubt that this speaks primarily to the entire um, Israel of God, the church universal, but it does include the believing Jews have been disp- who have been distur- dispersed throughout all that region by the wars and civil conflict and persecution by their own people. Believers, the unbelieving Jews wouldn't tolerate these folks. And the church is said to be scattered abroad. That's the manner in which God has spread His gospel to the whole world. He run them out of their own country into others. And they went, they were dispersed with the truth of God's gospel, the gospel of Christ. And Peter addressed his first letter in a similar manner that, that, that James does here. He says to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, and various other places. James's salutation is one word, greeting. I looked all that up and did traces of the word greeting throughout the New Testament. And some of the commentators that I read thought that this was not much of a salutation. Greeting. (laughs) Greeting, folks. But it's one used throughout the Scriptures. Matthew wrote in his Gospel when uh, after Christ's resurrection from the grave, and they all uh, left the tomb and went to tell everybody that he's gone. Christ met them. You know what his first words to them was? Greetings. Greetings. All hail. That's the way it's written there. But it's the same Greek word for greeting. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. And Luke wrote, when the angel Uh, came to Mary to announce the birth of Christ. The angel came to her and said, Hail, that's the same word, greeting. Greeting is a Christian greeting that means rejoice. It's interpreted and, and transcribed, translated that word, these many words. It's translated rejoice, be well, be glad, thrive, prosper, and God's speed. This one word takes on all those meanings and summarizes the tenor of this whole book. And a proper understanding of it will bring these things about in every believer. Rejoice. Be glad. Thrive. Prosper. God's speed. Now if you want to read ahead, Perhaps say this short letter on your own. It's it, it's important to understand what James means by, by this word temptation. Very important. Temptation can be substituted with our word trial. This is this is important to understand. He said, "My brethren, count." Look at verse two. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, diverse trials, the temptations, the trials which he addresses in this book include anything that we in the flesh would consider adverse, causes us grief, causes us pain, 
because they're all tests of our obedience to God in Christ. He instructs a believer, the follower of Christ, that while they're exercised by these trials, he says rejoice. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do. That's hard to do when you land in the hospital with a heart attack or your neck broken or pneumonia. You don't think much about anything except your pain and your own misery. He said, count it all joy. Not only when they fall into one temptation, but that word divers, that's many. Many. It's not just one kind. It's many. The Lord afflicts us in various ways, and there's various cures because our ambition, our covetousness, our envy, our gluttony, our intemperance and our excessive love of this world and the innumerable lust of the old man that dwells within us, wars in our members so that we can't do what we want or would, can't be cured by the same medicine every time. That's the reason we've got many trials. All of those trials are specifically designed to cause us to trust in Christ. Depend on Him for our eternal security. I'll leave you with this. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, trials, knowing this, that the trying, the trial, the testing of your faith, what does it do? It works patience. Is there any doubt that James is addressing faith in this letter? Nowhere will we find in his writings that we're justified by works. It's when we are in weakness, when we are strong. That's what he's saying. As with all of Scripture, this letter has to be at its main purpose, the comfort of God's people. Lord willing, we'll start going through this verse by verse. Thank you.